Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30, or 12 noon. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Well, good morning, everyone. Trevor seems a little punchy. I don't know why he seems tired. You got to get some more sleep, maybe, Trevor. I don't know. So um, we had a great time at Christmas Fest. It was a real fun time. Then, of course, we roll right into uh, our uh, ugly Christmas sweater. My wife insists that we recognize the winner because she's an unbelievably competitive person, even though Trevor said it's not a competition. But have you seen the chans? Can you guys stand and show us this ugly sweater, please? Joe, you, you can stand. I know you should both stand together. <laughs> All right, so here are the Starbucks gift cards to say thank you for being such. I, I was only going to give you one, but since it's two, it should be two. Let's give them a round. You guys are great. So we um, are in this series uh, talking about the supernatural realm. That's what this uh, whole series in December is about. We're talking about the, uh, the miracles and the supernatural elements that surrounded the Christmas story. And uh, I had, years ago, I had to take the MMPI. Some of you are familiar with this psychological evaluation. And um, I was taking it to get into graduate school. And some of the questions I thought, they're, I think they're pretty funny. Like, I, li I find it hard to keep my mind on a task or a job. Who doesn't? Like, I mean, this is, that shouldn't even be a question. To me, that's like what, anyone who says, no, I can always keep my, I'm always, I never get distracted. I'm like, how is this even this determining anything, right? The next one said, or one of them said, at times my thoughts have raced ahead faster than I could speak them. Well, I, I actually have the other problem. Right, usually my words flow a whole lot faster than my brain is kicking in. And I'm like, I wish that was one of them. I feel tired a good deal of the time. I mean, this is not. This is probably written in Minnesota. Oh wait, it was written in Minnesota. That's a, if it was written in New York, this would be wouldn't even ask this question. It's like asking if there's traffic on the Cross Bronx. You know, it, at times I feel like picking a fight with someone. It's kind of an aggressive one. <laughs> I was thinking about it this morning. I'm like, well, not yet, but the day is young. <laughs> so who knows? Or I sometimes tease animals. I mean, like, what do you think we, why do you think we have such a big cerebral cortex? Like, we've been given an advantage. We're supposed to use it to tease the animals. Like, there's so many. Well, anyway, they, then they shift, and there's a whole lot of, uh, now, I was taking this to get into seminary. It was, it was like, you know, Bible school, uh, graduate school for theology to go on for pastoral work. And there was a whole series of them, so I was taking these questions very literally, and uh, there was a series of questions like, I believe I am being plotted against. I am. I mean, it's clear. I mean, the Bible actually tells, Paul said that Satan hindered his work. I am being plotted against. And then another one said, I have enemies who really wish to harm me. 
That is true as well. I mean, Revelation, Satan, his angels, the whole thing. Just read through the scriptures and you'll see it. Someone has been trying to influence my mind. We know that Satan incited David to, you know, to do some pretty terrible things. Someone has it in for me. Of course, the devil's like a roaring lion, royal prowling around looking for. So I answered him straight up honest. And afterwards, of course, all of my, my, my students that were all applying with me at the time, they're like, Robert, it's a psychological test. <laughs> this isn't the theology part. You can't be answering it. You're never going to pass this thing because you're actually crazy now. Like you get, these were the tests. These were the crazy questions on the test. So, you know, I'm, I'm going through this thing. I'm all panicked and I'm thinking, but, but what if we do? Like this is, this, like, this is, there's an unseen world out there and it's, an important and powerful world. In fact, last week we saw that it is way more likely and even reasonable that the supernatural world exists than that it doesn't exist. If you like that idea that it is more reasonable to believe in the unseen world and in, the, and in miracles as a reality, then check out that message online because we can't build that whole argument again. Uh, but we're going to move forward talking about part of the unseen world, which are angels. Now, angels, of course, have all of these beautiful pictures you'll see, like all the nice Christmas cards, and, you know, there's all these neat little images of how loving and how, like, kind they are, and they always look, like, gentle and, and sweet and contemplative, you know, they're little cherub-like demeanors. They even have, like, some that are, like, children and you see those pictures of angels and you're like oh that's so sweet and then you read the bible story and you're like it seems a little different than that you know and then there's a whole other host of pictures where like artists have a different way like the warrior angels you know they're carrying swords and they look mean sometimes or angry and they're you know, they have like a, just even a hint of like of, of terror associated with them and so you see the way some artists look at them and you think well, what really is going on in this unseen world? Like, how are we supposed to think about it or react to it? How do we interact with it? Do we interact with it? And how do things like ghosts or seances or Ouija boards fit in? You know, or maybe, maybe like buying a St. Joseph statue and burying him upside down in your backyard because you need to sell your house. You know, like, how does, how does that sort of a thing fit in? Or the evil eye. Are psychics real? Are witches dangerous? Like how, do, how does all of this fit? So we are, many of us are aware of the unseen world, but we're not necessarily super well versed in what the Bible says about this unseen world. So that's what we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at this morning. Kind of a quick little biblical overview on some of these unseen creatures. We're going to start in Luke chapter 1, verse 11. And I just want to kind of set the stage for what happens when angels show up in the Christmas story. And I think what we get to see here is that they show up a number of times, at least three times. And we get to see them as these powerful creatures who do God's work. And when they show up, they mostly terrify people. So Luke chapter 1, verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. 
When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. That's the immediate response that this guy has. Terror that an angel has shown up. I wondered what this thing must look like. What kind of aura did it give off? What sort of vibe did, did the, whole, the whole area sort of just resonate with? If Zechariah is immediately terrified. Look at verse 26, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. That's what they have to do. Angels show up. They have to say, Hey, good morning. Calm down. <laughs> Calm down, everyone. Just relax a second here. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I want a whole series of Christmas cards next year that just has pictures of people cowering in front of angels. Like, I've never seen that, but I think it would be a really fun series to send out. People would be like, This is weird. Like, this guy didn't pass the MMPI. These angels are created creatures. They are not eternal creatures. And they might be as diverse and numerous as your imagination could allow. They actually might even be the reality behind some of the old mythologies of the gods and the demigods. Perhaps encounters like these are what helped create some of these legends. And of course, there are countless angels, myriads. The Bible uses language like legions or thousands upon thousands, an innumerable host. So there is some immense number of angels. And they go by a variety of different names. Some are cherubim and some are seraphim. There are archangels. There might even be guardian angels. And according to Daniel 10, it seems as if there might even be different ranks and abilities among the angelic host, which is sort of interesting because I think of angels and I kind of like, they're, I cookie cutter them, you know, like an angel cookie, like a sugar cookie, like dunk, 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 they're all the same. Apparently not, which of course makes sense because think of the diversity just in the human species, never mind the diversity of life that exists on the whole of the planet. Why wouldn't we imagine that God was just as creative and just ha using just as much diversity as he did when he created the angelic host? Perhaps there are as many different types of angels as there are different types of people or even different species of animal here on the planet. Because it does seem as if some angels were able to do certain things and they couldn't do other things and they needed help from other angels to help them overcome their enemies which of course all just blows our minds because it seems as if there's this incredible situation, this incredible world and in the unseen that is happening around us that we don't even have any sort of insight into. And these things, these, these conversations and these circumstances, these battles could actually be waging around us all the time. And of course, there are countless stories from around the world of people coming into contact with these otherworldly creatures. 
eyewitness testimonies time and time and time again saying we have seen these sorts of creatures. But not all angels work for the good of God's plans. There are demons or fallen angels that are led by the chief fallen angel, Satan. Satan is leading an invisible cosmic battle against God. Now, I know that there are a lot of people who are skeptical about this idea, and they're like, oh, come on, there can't really be a personal evil out there. I mean, maybe, maybe we just use it as sort of a generic you know, personification of evil. I don't know, man. I read the paper, and it's getting harder and harder to believe that there is not an active, intelligent, evil force in this world that is working against humanity. We can't get our footing under us before it gets kicked out. We get up, we have, we have a broken leg, and we get a crutch, and we get a, our balance for just a minute, and someone comes by and kicks the crutch. Like, it just seems like you, know, and you point to a power, you point to another person, you point to a bad nation, you point to a whatever. It just seems like this is, this is bigger than what's happening among people. There is a bigger battle happening here, and Satan leads this rebellion against God. The word Satan actually just means adversary. He goes by a lot of different names. He's called the devil or Beelzebub. He's called the ruler of this world. But he shows up in the Garden of Eden in the fall of humanity. We see him in the story of Job, an ancient account of how God and the devil interact. We see him tempting Jesus in the Garden. And of course, we see him in the book of Revelation. And throughout the Bible, he makes these cameos. And he is constantly engaged in activities that are against the best interests of humanity. He is depicted as hostile to God and working to overthrow the purposes of God. We find him behind Peter's conflict with Jesus. He was noted in Judas Iscariot's betrayal. In John 14, with the cross in view, Jesus said, The ruler of this world is coming. Thessalonians 2, we find out that he hinders the work of missionaries. In Mark 4, he takes away the good seed that the evangelist throws onto the soil, and the enemy shows up and snatches it out of the hearts of men. In Luke 13, we find out that his activity isn't just spiritual and invisible, but his activity may actually produce physical effects in this world. His minions seem to be the angels that fell with him. And now we get into a little bit of speculation from what we have in the scriptures as a sort of poetic language that we don't really know exactly what it means, but it's possible that it, as many as one-third of the angels followed Satan in his rebellion from a variety of different texts, which some have even kind of theorized, and it's starting to get even further outside of what we know from the scriptures, that there were in fact three archangels. Satan was one of the, the, the three archangels in charge of one-third of the legion of angels taking that third with him. Some even say it's a representative of the Trinity and on and on, all stuff that we can't really know because we have limited information about this whole realm that we can get from the scriptures, which of course makes it very intriguing but also very difficult to know. So what do we know about demons? Well, we know that they're powerful. We know that they're not to be trifled with. We know that they can possess people and that possession can manifest in all sorts 
of different psychological and emotional and even physical symptoms. Now, it's important to say, not all physical, emotional, or psychological problems are caused by demons. All right, so, uh, you know, I, I don't want to kind of go down that, the, the, the other side of this thing and start thinking everything is, has to be rebuked as a demon. That's simply not the case. But there are no doubt some that are caused by demonic powers in this world. Possession, it seems, is very real. It can happen. It doesn't seem possible to happen to Christians. Most scholars would tell you it doesn't work because the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in the Christian soul, and because of that, a demon can't take up possession of a Christian's soul. However, demons are able to tempt. Some people use the term demonize, which is short of possession, and they oppress people. And this can, in fact, all of these can, in fact, include Christians. We also recognize that demons are deceitful beyond comprehension. And this is a key, key thing that we have to understand. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Satan, that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. That's the Apostle Paul. He's saying, listen, he's clever, but we can't let him outwit us. We can't let him outthink us. We can't let him get the better of us. We've got we to be sharp. We've got to be smart. We've got to understand because we're not unaware of his schemes. But I, I think we are. I mean, I think we are very often unaware of his schemes. Much of, many, many of our superstitions, much of our idea of magic or psychics, things like this, there's, there's really only a couple of possibilities. Either these things are all just fake, that none of these things really happen. They're all just charlatans and snake oil. Or they're manifestations of the demonic. And as followers of Christ, those are our only two options. And I sort of feel like I've seen both. I've seen the, the charlatans just trying to take advantage of people, but I've also seen things that defy naturalistic explanation. I also I remember years ago, uh, somebody was getting, it was, year, I don't know how many years, it was too many years ago, but it was, uh, there was this idea, there were big, some UFO sightings out in the West, and we were in California at the time, people were saying, well, UFOs are clearly demons, and I'm like, oh, come on, like, this is getting stupid, like, you know, you're literally saying, like, unidentified, and then they're like, no, no, in Ezekiel 10, there's wheels within wheels, and they're in the sky, and they're light, and, but it's a big, big deception, and I'm like, oh, this is so ridiculous, and recently, I'm reading an article, and it explains that, you know, scientists can't, like we said last week, they can't really explain the origin of life here on Earth. It doesn't make any sense. So like Star Trek, they're starting to speculate that aliens seeded the planet with life. Some of you have heard this, or you're Star Trek fans like me, and so you're like, oh, yeah, that's actually what I remember. They seeded all the planets, and that's how all the different species all came out. You know, they got aliens, and I'm like... Wait a second, you're telling me you'd rather believe in aliens seeding the planet than God? Like, you've lost your mind. How, who could believe such a dumb deception? And I'm like, oh, wait, what if, what, if, what if those lunatics were right back in California saying this is all part of some grand deception? Now I'm like, now the joke's on me because people are actually saying that this might be the case. But I, and I'm not saying it is. I don't actually think it is. But the, the point of it is, the enemies of God use deceptive tactics. 
And even good things, even good things can be part of their deception. And this is so important for us to recognize. This is, all right, look at 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14. I'll put it on the screen. It says, and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. This is perhaps one of the most disturbing of the biblical truths about Satan and his demons. You see, when I think of this, I think of Satan, I want him to show up like he does in, in the horror movies, right? I mean, I don't want him to show up like he does in the horror movies. That's not what I want. I want I, that's how, when, if, if you have to see him, I want him to show up with red horns and a tail and a pitchfork. I want him to show up in such a way that everyone recoils from his evil, that everyone is, is running in the other direction because he's so clearly evil. But, but he masquerades as an angel of light. That means we wouldn't be able to know that he's evil. In fact, that's the best kind of deception, right? A great big lie stuffed in a tiny skin of the truth. What better way to deceive humanity? So you think about a shaman, a tribal shaman who heals his tribe members. Is this good? Of course it's good. They don't even have access to real medicine. Thank God for the shaman. You see how that rational mind can go, right? To the point where we're saying, we could thank God for these kinds of things. How about the yogi? who helps you find yourself. We're going to help you reach nirvana. I'm the wise man who's going to sprinkle you with pixie dust and make sure that good things happen and blessings. How could you not be happy about these kinds of things? News 12 had been running an article talking about how like 20% of the witches, of a million witches that are in the U.S. are in New York, and there's this big push. They're saying, we're not witches like green, you know, with hats and... We love the earth and we love people and spirituality. And you read it, you're like, that's so beautiful. Oh, that's so sweet. You like hug the planet. That's nice. See, this is masquerading. What about a ghost who shows up to give you closure with a, with a, a loved one that died? Who wouldn't want closure? I mean, how could you say any of these things are bad things? These are good things. You know, there are psychics who now help law enforcement. I remember he, I, the first time I heard about this, it was in L.A. There was like a missing person, and they got a map out, and somebody was using like a divining tool to show, on, like to be led, and all of a sudden they would say, oh, it's, let's search this area over here in the map. Some of these psychics are apparently so good that they have to like give they have to give explanations like alibis as to where they were at on the nights that the crimes happened because they have sometimes too much information about these crimes. And the police are like, there's only, how could you possibly have known where the body was buried? It's like, well, you know, I'm a psychic. And so they're like, oh, thank you so much for your help. Right? I mean, if that was you, you'd lost someone you loved. You needed closure to find out what happened to a person. My goodness, this is all good. This is... Satan masquerading as an angel of light. And I think this is so much more dangerous than a haunting in Amityville. You know, or maybe, you know, the Deliver Us from Evil sequel from some New York City cop telling us all the horror stories that happen and how terrifying it is. Those, that's how we want things to happen. But it is rarely the way the enemy works. 
rarely the way he works. Demons are in a fight against you. I think we forget this sometimes. I mean, think, all right, demons fight against God. You're fighting on God's behalf, trying to do God's work. That means demons are fighting against you. You've aligned yourself with his enemy. And I think if we would be terrified sitting in the presence of an angel, imagine what a demon would do to us. I think Hollywood has begun to sort of scratch the surface of what that reality might look like if demons manifested in all of their unvarnished horror. But of course, we're not supposed to be looking for demonic influence behind every misfortune, and we're not supposed to become obsessed with the spiritual world, but we ought to be aware of it and to not dabble in the dark realms. I think that's one of the reasons that we have to be very careful with all sorts of superstitions. You guys remember Michael Scott, he thought his office was cursed, right? Remember that? This well, I am taking responsibility. And it is up to me to get rid of the curse that hit Meredith with my car. I'm not superstitious, but I'm, I am a little stitious. I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. I think many of us feel that way. Whether it's ghosts or ESP or seances, these are all demonic activity. Horoscopes, they don't have any place in the life of a Christ follower. In the early church, once people became Christians, they would gather up all of their books and other paraphernalia related to magic or idols, and they would burn them as an example of the, the breaking with their past. You know, people even today, we talk about the evil eye and the spells that will counter the evil eye. Christians, because we're just a little stitious. And I think all of this is flirting with the dark side of the unseen world. And I think we should be wary about opening ourselves up to the demonic realm by entertaining these sorts of things. Listen, if angels need your attention, they will get it. You don't need to worry about that. They have plenty of capabilities to get your attention. Because angels are in fact fighting on our behalf in the scriptures. They deliver messages. They protect. They comfort. And if they show up in your life in a Christmas story sort of way and they tell you to do something, then do it. Go ahead and do it. That's the smart thing. Unless it disagrees with the Bible. Because we also know this. Galatians 1.8. We're told... That even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached, let them be under God's curse. So the scriptures are our governing text. But if an angel comes up and you know it's an angel, then you should just do it. If he says, hey, go to California, go to LA, you know, go to Egypt, you know, like he did to the family, you should do it. If he tells you to go marry the virgin, we should talk first, but I'm just, there's like, there's, you know, if angels have decided to manifest, the thing is, these are unbelievably rare, unbelievably rare. I know very few Christians who report angelic visits like this, but that doesn't mean that angels aren't at work all around us all the time, because there are lots of angels that you meet that you might not even know which really blows my whole mind. It's like a whole new category of angelic appearances. But in Hebrews 13, 2, 
He says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Wow. How is that going to impact how you treat strangers? Last week, my son Logan and I, we went to the deli, and he said, we left, and he goes, you were mean. I'm like, I was mean? He's like, yeah, you were mean to the guy helping us at the deli. I'm like, I was helping him become a better person. Because uh, that's what I do. And uh, I might have said it with an edge. But, you know, now I'm thinking, what if that dude was an angel? Like, what if he had been standing there in all of his shiny glory with a sword dangling from his belt? And I'd be like, I don't think I would have been mouthing off about, you know, him not letting me call in my order. I think it would have been a whole different exchange. And I think God gives us this passage like this to say, hey, think a second before you talk. Think about how you're treating people. What if you're talking to a spiritual being? What if you're talking to a sacred creature right now? And all of a sudden you realize, I always am talking to sacred creatures. Every single one. Not every one of you is an angel and none of you are demons. But we're all sacred creatures. And God's saying there's an unseen world and how we relate. And you, if you were to talk differently to an angel, it should impact the way you relate to everyone you meet. How does this impact our conversation about racism or our willingness to stop or to help people or our whole immigration thing that we're talking about? How do we treat outsiders and strangers in a world where they might be God's messengers? Listen, we don't need to fear the demonic world if we are followers of Jesus. We're told over and over that God sends his angels to care for us. They're, they're, they protect us in different passages. And even though the spiritual forces of darkness are powerful, they are no match for God's army. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, then you don't have to fear the demonic world or demon possession or even being overpowered by, by spiritual forces. Now, if you're not a genuine disciple of Jesus, then that's like a totally different conversation we should have because it's, it, anyway, it's just not, it's different because you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you and it's a whole other, it's a whole other conversation. But if you're a follower of Christ, then no matter what happens, God is in control. You don't need to be fretting or worrying about any of these sorts of things. All we need to know and it doesn't matter, you know, if you don't get that healing you want or your friend, your loved one doesn't avoid the car accident you felt like an angel should have stepped in and helped them and whatever it is, we may not get everything we want and the world isn't going to play out the way we want. And there are going to be sicknesses that we die from and there's going to be all this kind of stuff. But here's the reality. No matter what, we know God is in control of it. He's in charge. And if this is what he has for us, it's what he has for us. And we take what he has for us as good. The universe is not spiraling out of control. God and his powerful unseen forces are at work all around us to accomplish his perfect will. And everywhere in the New Testament, we see this great conflict between the forces of God and good on the one hand and those led by Satan and evil on the other. And there is no doubting the severity of this conflict. And you're in it. Do you know that? Do you realize, do you recognize that there is a spiritual struggle going on for your neighborhood, for your family, for your lost coworkers, an epic spiritual battle? We go about doing our thing, living our lives as if none of this is, that none of this matters and if none of this is real. 
We forget that there is an epic spiritual war and we need spiritual weapons to fight in this spiritual war. Are you equipping yourself for spiritual battle? Because that's where our real fight happens. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's not against each other. It's not against the other out there. But it's against the spiritual forces of darkness. And we have been so fully and well equipped by Christ for this great battle. If we wake up to it and we engage and we enter. J.C. Riley, he has one of my favorite quotes about this. He says, do you find in your heart of hearts a spiritual struggle? Are you conscious of two principles within you contending for the mastery? Do you feel anything of war in your inward man? Well, let us thank God for it. It is a good sign. It is strongly probable evidence of the great work of sanctification. All true saints are soldiers. A real Christian can be known as much by his inward warfare as by his inward peace. Let me pray for you. Lord, I'm asking that you would awaken each and every one of us to the reality of this spiritual world, this unseen battle that, that rages against us. Help us to see, Lord, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of this dark age. And I pray, Lord, as you've set a, a hedge of protection around us, as you show many times in the scriptures, we want to be aware of this world. We want to see it. We want to experience it in the way that you would have for us, Lord. Help us to see. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and teach us all that you have. Lord, we don't want to fret or fear this world. We know that you have ultimate power. And we thank you that you have surrounded us with such an incredible resource the angels of heaven to minister to us, to serve, to protect, to guide. It's an incredible privilege. It's hard for us to even imagine it, Lord, and yet we take your word as truth. And so we thank you for it. Amen. Join us for Christmas Eve services on Saturday, December 23rd at 5 p.m. or 7 p.m. or on Sunday, December 24th at 9 a.m. or 10.30. See you soon.